0: Hello and welcome to Shick Talk, a podcast presented by the Swine Health Information Center. I'm Barb Detterman, your host for this edition of Schick Talk. Schick is made possible by Pork Checkoff funding, and our mission is to protect and enhance the health of the US swine herd through coordinated global and domestic disease monitoring, targeted research investments, analysis of swine health data. We have some exciting new information to share today about a program that Schick is undertaking. We have both Executive Director Dr. Paul Sundberg and Associate Director Dr. Megan Niederwerder, with us today to talk about our new Wean to Harvest biosecurity program. Megan, let's start with you. Would you like to give us an overview of the project?
1: Yes, thank you Barb. Essentially we have designed a Wean to Harvest biosecurity research program to help facilitate the development of new tools and technologies in the biosecurity realm for our industry. And we have focused our research efforts on this research program based on some of the swine health data that we have been generating as part of the SHIC mission over the last several months and years. This data led us to identify a vulnerability in the industry in the wean to harvest phase of swine production. And we approached our board of directors at the end of June about reallocating the 2022 budget to incorporate $1 million of funds towards this targeted research program on wean to harvest biosecurity. Since that time, we have included collaborators, including the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, as well as the National Pork Board, who are both collaboratively involved in this research program and have prioritized these efforts to develop new tools in the biosecurity realm.
0: Very good. Paul, can you kind of give us a little bit of of
2: an introduction as to Why this is important to producers? First of all, let's talk about the name. And first, let's talk about why it's weaned to harvest. When we look back at historical data and also experiences, it's pretty clear that the finishing floor, the finishing phase can act as a nidus of pathogen, nidus of infection for breeding herds. Back in the Pseudorabies eradication program, at the end of the pseudorabies program, we recognized that if we didn't get on the finishing floors and vaccinate for pseudorabies on the finishing floors, they'd continue to break and spew out a viral cloud that would uh, end up reinfecting the breeding herds that had been cleaned up. So that was a, it was a hard lesson to learn, but it was an easy fix to implement in order to take care of that specific problem. When you get to the outbreak of PED in 2013, we weren't really very well prepared to stop its spread. And one of the reasons we weren't prepared to stop its spread is because we didn't know the role that the finishing floor was playing in helping to move that virus around as well. The same type of thing as with pseudorabies. So the issue there is taking a look at the biosecurity of the whole phase from weaning to harvest that can include the the nursery that it can include grow finishers that can include finisher floors and it also encompasses with the harvest issue it encompasses transportation as it can be affected by movement of pathogens movement of disease back from harvests and packing plants and first points of concentration So there's a transportation thing in there as well. We wanted to be as inclusive as we could to look all the way from that weaning issue all the way to harvest and the packing plants. Okay, So as we
0: look at this, we know that production has changed considerably in the last uh, 20 years. So looking at the different parts of the biosecurity system in each system, Megan, is this all going to be looked at by one group of collaborators or how are we going to look at this?
1: Yeah, so when we think about the sow or breeding farm and the biosecurity protocols that have been implemented at that stage of production, the data has shown that we are doing an excellent job as far as infectious diseases at the sow breeding farm level. What became evident based on the data that we were generating was that post-weaning, As the pigs go into the nursery and into the grow finish phase, fewer biosecurity protocols are being implemented at those phases, which really opens the door for infectious diseases to get into the entire industry. Because as Paul mentioned, when diseases enter into the grow finish phase and the the viruses, for instance, are replicated there creates an increase in overall disease pressure that then spills over even into the sow and breeding farm phase. So we want to close the door for the wean to harvest phase and that vulnerability for pathogens to enter, not only thinking about how we reduce the endemic disease pressure, such as PERS and PEDV, but also how do we close the door, close the gap, For foreign animal disease prevention, because as we know, it doesn't matter what phase foreign animal disease or ASF enters to our industry, the economic effect, the effect on the animals is the same. And so when we identify a vulnerability in a certain phase, such as this wean to harvest, we wanna do everything we can to identify tools and technologies to improve biosecurity in that phase for endemic diseases and foreign animal diseases. So this is very collaborative. This is involving um, all individuals throughout the industry. So veterinarians, producers, people intimately involved in the transport industry, the packers, thinking about um, how do we prioritize the research in a cost-effective and innovative way that could actually be implemented after these new tools and technologies are developed.
2: Megan, you talked about the data a couple of times. You mentioned the data, and I've got the perspective of rabies and, and PED. We've got that swine disease reporting system that compiles all the information out of the veterinary diagnostic labs. And I know there's information out of there. What, what's the data show about the interaction between the finishing floor and the breeding herd?
1: Yeah, so the SDRS system, I'm glad you mentioned it. It collated data from five veterinary diagnostic labs, essentially representing over 90% of the swine uh, samples submitted to VDLs. And with our monthly reporting system, we're able to evaluate trends in the data that may indicate either disease increasing disease reducing in the industry but also trends within the phases of our industry and what we were able to determine based on the SDRS system over the last several months is that we could see an increase from January to May in the detection of PEDV really an unprecedented um, increase in the percent positive uh, cases of PEDV. And when we looked at that a little bit closer with data from the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project, it was shown that oftentimes pigs were being placed into the nursery and the grow finish phases as negative for PEDV, Indicating that we were successful in biosecurity at the sow breeding farm level, but that they were becoming infected with PEDV in the grow finish phase. And so we understood that likely this increase in PEDV was associated with this introduction or infection of pigs later on in the production cycle in that grow-finish phase. The other aspect of the SDRS system that we noticed over the last three years was that the PERS virus increases in the finishing phase or the wean-to-market phase actually increased one to two months prior to an increase in PERS virus at the sow or breeding farm level, indicating that likely PERS was getting into that wean-to-market phase, increasing in replication, and that was subsequently in the next one to two months spilling over into the sow breeding farms, indicating that vulnerability uh, for the industry. So that data was really helpful in that we were able to monitor those trends, identify the vulnerability, and then respond as a need for our industry.
2: Another thing, Barb, the outbreak of Tinnobacillus pleura pneumonia, APP, the APP strength 15 in central Iowa, was another wake-up call because we've got rapid response teams that go out uh, on the invitation of the producer and the veterinarian to investigate disease outbreaks and try to figure out the vulnerability, the breakdown in biosecurity that was enabled the disease outbreak to happen, the pathogen to get on the farm, and for something to happen. We did that with this APP outbreak in Iowa, and Dr. Darrell Holtkamp was heading that up and he reported back, and it's on our website, swineelk.org about the report and what was going on with the APP. It was very evident that the finishing floor breaks that were happening were lateral breaks, lateral associated breaks, instead of the normal thing that you would think of, horizontal breaks coming from the breeding herds onto the weans and then to the finishers. They were actually lateral breaks going from finisher to finisher, That again just underscored the need for something to happen with this finishing biosecurity to tighten it up.
0: Well, and one of the things that you both have mentioned in in our conversation here is transportation. And from somebody who lives on a major highway that sees a lot of pigs going by to go to harvest, what role do you think we have to worry about there with transportation?
1: Yeah, when we think about the numbers of pigs on the road every day, you know, everybody's heard the statistic of one million pigs on the road every day, but we can also break that down into approximately 450,000 pigs go to market every day. And when you think about how many truckloads that is, it's approximately 3,000 truckloads a day. How can we effectively clean, disinfect, decontaminate 3,000 truckloads a day? and thinking about how we make sure those trucks are clean when they go to the packer and come back to the farm to again uh, reduce the vulnerability and potential for disease outbreak coming back to the farm. We wanna make sure that we have those tools in place again to reduce endemic disease pressure, but also in the event of a foreign animal disease and how do we respond. And one of the aspects about transport biosecurity is that the USDA had also indicated this as a critical need for us all livestock and the transportation need because they identified that in the case of an animal disease emergency or a national pandemic, they would need the ability to deploy mobile truck cleaning and disinfection Units to the area where there was a disease outbreak. And really, we do not have the ability to do so right now in our industry. And that's something that again goes back to the preparedness that we need to have in the event of a foreign animal disease outbreak.
2: You know, Barb, when PED broke, one of the things that was done was a survey of the packing plants, and the trucks coming into the packing plants were tested for PED. And then the trucks leaving the packing plant were tested for PED. And more of the trucks leaving were positive than those coming in. So they were getting contaminated at the packing plant. And the brutal truth is, we just don't have enough infrastructure in our industry in order to decontaminate every truck that goes to the packing plant. It just can't happen. So we've got to look for innovative and cost effective new ways to think about decontamination of trucks. It may be outside of truck washes. It may be something completely different than a truck wash in order to be able to handle the amount of traffic that we have on the roads every day. We gotta think outside the box. That's what this whole program is trying to do. Think about ways that we can make a difference without being constrained or shackled, if you will, by what we already think we know. We're trying to look at what we don't anticipate we know and see if we can make a difference by using something new. I keep hearing both of you talking about we.
0: So I'm wondering, is that you and Megan, Paul, that are going to be doing all this figuring out or
2: exactly how are we going to approach this project? Yeah, the thing that we that we learn, and I think the thing that's pretty evident is the we when we talk about Megan and I, and we talk about other veterinarians is that we tend to think we know what direction we need to go. And that can be a liability sometimes. So what we've done is put together task forces that are specifically tasked with looking at the site biosecurity as well as transportation biosecurity. So there's a task force on each one of those. And it's not just veterinarians. It's production folks. It's USDA. It's a whole whole bunch of collaborators, a whole bunch of people that are working with this stuff every day out on the farms. And we want their ideas about what can happen. Farmers, pork producers are innovators, and they solve problems. And what we want to do is we want to get the best ideas that we can that are out there about if and how to solve a problem that makes sense on the farm, something that's implementable. And so that's how we're going about this. We're going to have a call for proposals when we get those task forces and their work done to help us develop the priorities, what we need to look at, how we need to look at them. And then we're just going to advertise those widely. And we're going to get all the best ideas we can to put to each of the specific problems that we're going to have identified. Sounds good. Megan, um, we're talking about call for proposals, but if
0: someone has an idea that isn't really a reach search proposal, is there a way to share those ideas with the collective we?
1: Yes, absolutely. So we've encouraged, of course, all of the task force members to provide feedback anytime to Paul or I, but other individuals in the public, we would be happy to hear any ideas, priorities, directions, questions, concerns via through Paul or I, or there is an, on the website, an opportunity to provide feedback based on uh, what you've heard today or what the information that you can review on the website and if you have ideas we want to hear them because we want to again think outside the box change the paradigm think about how we can do things differently how we can improve the biosecurity for the industry really thinking about um, all different kinds of ideas approaches and aspects so We'd love to hear from anyone who um, has has any input on this program.
0: That sounds good. And one of the things that we've talked about is that we're this is a lot of collaboration. And you acknowledge that right up front, Megan, with two of our major collaborators. And would you like to expand on that just a little bit so we can remind everybody of who all is involved in this? And it's not just, it's not just resources, but it's also everybody's thought processes.
1: Yes, absolutely. So collaborators include the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, and we are working directly with Tim Kurt and Lauren Hershey. Those are the representatives from the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, or FAR. And they have been very closely involved in the development of this program, but also the foundation by which they fund research is really invested in forming public-private partnerships to improve agriculture. And so this has been a, a big priority for them as well. And then our other collaborators are the National Pork Board or Pork Chekhov. And the individuals that we're working with there are Pam Zabel as well as Lisa Becton. And transport biosecurity in particular has been a priority of the National Pork Board and looking at how we improve the biosecurity of all pig movements. And so they have been, again, heavily invested in the development of this program and very collaborative with all of the individuals involved, including the task force members, agreeing that this is a need for our industry. We're just figuring out the best way to get there and the best tools to develop.
0: I think one of the things about this project is it's new and it's innovative but also the fact that it is involving so many different people as well as so much background from different organizations. So there's going to be a lot of collaboration on a lot of different levels. And so that'll be very, very good for the industry in the long run. What part are we missing telling people about on this project? Either one of you got anything else?
2: You know, the the 2022 plan of work was developed in January and the board of directors passed the plan of work. And we're going to do the same thing for 2023. But every year we do that plan of work, give it to the board of directors, and ask them if that's on task with our mission of monitoring, of research, and of analysis of data. And then they put a budget to it. Boy, back in January of this year, uh, we had no idea we were going to get into this thing. As the data came through, and you know, part of the thing for Schick is the analysis of data. And as we started putting the story together, it became pretty clear that this was a spot that needed to have some focus. And so this only started in in June when we um, gave the story to the board of directors and we said, we need to reallocate 2022 plan of work and budget toward this. They looked at it and said, it's pretty obvious that things need to happen. And it's part of the, I I think I'm gonna offer that it's part of the responsiveness of the Swine Health Information Center. Take a look at what's going on around us and try to figure out how we can make a difference and how we can help. And don't be constrained by, but this is the way we've always done it. Don't be constrained by, but we aren't supposed to be doing it or we can't do it that way. And instead of thinking why we can't, we try to think of how we can. And I think this is a pretty good illustration of the value of, of Chick and what we're trying to get done. Definitely agree with that. Um, Megan, is there any part of the
0: program that we're working on that you think we might need to go ahead and tell people more about right now?
1: Sure. Yeah. I think one of the aspects of the program, just to give everybody a bit of a timeline, is to think about... We're developing the research priorities, the researchable questions with our task forces currently. So we plan to do that with those task forces. We have met once and our second meeting is is in the next couple of days. So thinking about that is a living document. Again, please feel free to reach out to us to provide us your ideas, suggestions, and directions. We, We would love to hear that. And then we hope to have the RFP ready to be advertised and available to anyone who is interested in submitting a proposal, hopefully by the beginning of October. We will announce that as uh, it becomes available, but just to keep an eye on, on our press releases and news releases so that anyone who is interested can submit a proposal.
2: This is likely to go on for a bit. Research, of course, takes time. We have to look at, we always use the term cost-effective, and so it's a challenge to be able to measure cost-effectiveness with some biosecurity techniques or or implementation, because it's not always evident that you've got cost-effective. You have to sometimes measure that over time, and so this is going to go on for a while, and that's where, even as the program develops and as we get different projects and we're going to make sure that we communicate them real time as as real time as we can with things that are going on and things that are happening and we're always wanting some feedback and say yeah but have you thought of this or this isn't going to work we may come up with things that (laughs) that this is the right thing this is what we think could work and we'll get feedback and say yeah but you can't do that on the farm so that's the kind of thing. We want to make this thing as real-time and as personal as we can on the farm to really try to make and make a difference in what we're doing. Definitely.
0: And I, as everybody can tell, this is a huge project, and we will be continuing to communicate it to everyone so that they can uh, ask questions or come up with their own ideas to submit to you guys. From my view, Barb, I think we've covered it pretty well. Okay, sounds good. And I think we'll be talking about this project a little bit more often than what uh, we do some of our others because it is so broad and there's so many different things that'll be developing with it. So we'll encourage everyone to listen for new episodes for ShikTok Talk, as well as watch for media releases to all our partners in the media that shares our information. Everyone, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Barb. Thanks, Barb. Thank you for listening to Schick Talk from the Swine Health Information Center. Learn more about our organization and our mission to protect the health of the U.S. swine herd at www.swinehealth.org.